Thank you, Dee and Bill, and a great message uh, for us to, to press on, and that God is the one who gives us that strength, and certainly an important uh, reminder as we're planning to uh, be beginning and resuming these, these programs of Sunday School and Awana and uh, the weeks that follow. Uh, once again, we're, if you have uh, children or grandchildren that can be here from 8.45, we will have songs and, and prayer, and then 9 o'clock the lesson, and to, uh, to 9.30, and then, of course, Children's Church will still be during the morning service. Several people have asked me, we're still going to have Children's Church with, with Tammy. Absolutely, yes, we'll still have Children's Church uh, during the service. We're adding that Sunday school class. This is an additional class. It's going to have um, worksheets and take-home papers and visuals and verses. and It's, it's, going, to be, it's going to be great. And uh, we're looking forward to that and uh, looking forward to pressing on and serving the Lord in that way. And uh, we're looking forward to resuming Awana Clubs as well. And to also, I didn't mention, uh, we're, we're, we're encouraging uh, any teenagers. We're, we're building the Awana Club up. We're extending it, offering the evening for all the way up through 8th grade. We were advertising it as through 6th grade, but allowed some 7th graders to come last year. So we're officially going to announce up through 8th grade for Awana Clubs. And if they're ninth through 12th graders, we welcome them to come. Uh, if they have younger siblings or uh, family members here to come and help with games and things or teenagers from our school. Sometimes we did have teenagers from our school last year come and give some volunteer service hours that they're required to get as part of their um, high school education here uh, and put some of those hours in in the WANA Club. And if they are here for that night putting those service hours in, we encourage them to stay for a Bible study at the end of the night. If we have teenagers, we're going to start that Bible study and in addition, I just want to remind you, those of you who have been coming to the Wednesday night Bible study, or maybe if you haven't been coming, but you might be open to it, we're going to continue the adult Bible study and prayer meeting every Wednesday during the Awana time. And yes, we get a little bit smaller during the Awana time because some of those who would normally be in our prayer meeting are overworking in Awana. But... Uh, we are hoping that parents who bring their kids to Awana will join us for that Bible study. We're always going to be looking for that. And we would love, if you do not normally attend our Bible study and prayer meeting on Wednesday night, we'd love to have you join us. Or if you did not work in the Awana program and you'd be interested in working with children, we can always use adults to listen to memory verses and to maybe even take a part in leading songs or um, helping sing the songs alongside the kids or teach a story or just be there doing games as an assistant uh, during the game time. Uh, we have a, a game directors and leaders and we'd love to have more help in any way that you would be willing to provide. Uh, we'd love to have your help in serving in pressing on in the ministry that God would have for us here at the Bible Church of Lakeshore. We want to be able to provide these outreach ministries for children in our church. And that's what we're looking at in passing the baton, passing the torch on to the next generation of believers. We don't want to just grow old and, 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 and die off. We want to grow. We don't want to stagnate and get to a certain point in membership. And that's as far as we get because decline is the next thing. We want to constantly be looking to grow and to pass our faith on to the future generation and, uh, and involve all of you who are adults and seasoned believers um, and 
continuing to, to grow in your faith as well, to come in and be involved in ministering to others, or to coming and ministering to others through the ministry of prayer. This is an important ministry to come and pray for the ministries of our church, for those in need, for our missionaries. Prayer is so essential uh, to the work of God in this world through our church and through um, the universe. The, the body of believers worldwide, we encourage you to get involved in that way. We'd love to see that. And uh, the last few weeks in our morning service, we've been studying the book of First Timothy. Last week, we looked at our last passage in particular in the book of First Timothy. And I mentioned to you that I might bring a message tying it all together. And I have brought that message today, Lord willing, where we will look through the entire book. I'm not sure that I will read through the entire book. That's kind of my goal, actually. Uh, th this morning, I think I talk too much during announcements, so uh, my, my, my mouth is already getting dry. I, I can tell I've been talking too much. Uh, but and we, uh, we are looking at the book of 1 Timothy. When I went to seminary, I was instructed, always try to preach book sermons for the books that you preach through, whether it's an introductory book sermon before you start a series or a summary sermon looking back at the series you just completed. I did that for 1 Thessalonians after we completed the book of 1 Thessalonians, went through the entire book, you might remember, went through several points, probably too many points, so I'm limiting it to three points today that we'll be looking at, three main points in the book of 1 Timothy. And then when we went to 2 Thessalonians, I overviewed the book, I, I believe, before we went into the book. So I did it that way. Some of those other books of history, 1 and 2 Samuel, we didn't do that for. Maybe we'll do that for the book of Esther in a morning service after we finish it this Wednesday in our Wednesday night Bible study and uh, in future book studies as well. And I'm actually looking ahead down the road. I'm looking at probably going right into 2 Timothy and uh, Philemon, but then my plan is to go on a topical series. I know I haven't done that much, uh, but I'm looking ahead. I'm looking at a topical series for morning services and, and addressing certain scriptural uh, topics and, and looking at that particular topic. I know I haven't done that much this year, but I'm, I'm planning for it. Uh, but uh, expository is always the method I approach. Even when I'm looking at a topic, I'll try and find a passage of scripture that best embodies that topic and exposit it, taking from the word, the outline that's in the word of the Lord, not placing my own onto it as much as possible, uh, just rightly dividing the word of truth. So we're going to look at the book of 1 Timothy as a whole this morning in that way. And as we do so, I believe we will find in the book of 1 Timothy answers to three specific questions that we can ask about the church, especially concerning leaders in the church, but really all of us should be leaders in some way. Whether it's a leader in your home as a father or husband or mother, wife, and that you're leading your family, your children, the people that you have contact with, whether it's a leader in a WANA clubs where we actually call the helpers leaders, or for the teenagers, maybe leaders in training or assistance to the leader. Uh, leaders, leadership is Important. There's an old saying that says everything rises and falls on leadership. Leadership is important. So 1 Timothy deals a lot with that concept of leadership. And today we're going to ask three questions 
about leadership in the church and look at the answers to those three questions as we find them in the book of 1 Timothy as a whole. These are all things we've kind of looked at individually. Not, uh, we went through more than three uh, sermons in, in 1 Timothy. Uh, I believe it was the second week of July we started this series when I got back from Minnesota and then uh, concluded it last week. And this week we're bringing it all together, tying it together. One thing to keep in mind with epistles like this is they were originally meant, most of these epistles, now this one, of course, was written by Paul specifically to Timothy as an individual. But most of the epistles, even the book of Romans, for example, I was reminded when I went to our teacher's conference last year uh, in one of the workshops that the book of Romans, we don't always approach the book of Romans this way, but it was meant to be read in the church, to the church, in one sitting. The people would come to church, they read the whole book of Romans all the way through. And when you take the book of Romans that way, it comes differently than if you chop it into different pieces. And it's good to, to rightly divide the Word of God and look at it more in depth as we've done the last few weeks. But today we're looking at the overview and we're taking it as a whole and uh, in that method. And we're going to be looking at the answers to these three questions. Um, let's pray for God's blessing on this one more time here this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that we will uh, rightly divide it now as we look at these three questions and address them with the answers that we find in the book of 1 Timothy and look at 1 Timothy as a whole and the message of that book to us as a church and to us as individual believers and the leadership roles that you want for each of us. Uh, and we often look at this book as, as one that's especially addressed to uh, pastors or other uh, overseers as Timothy was in the, in the church. But Lord, I pray that wherever we find ourselves in the church and in our homes, that we'll all recognize that by example, at least, we are all leaders, that people are watching us every day, uh, however conscious of that fact we are, we are a light and the salt of this earth as believers in you. I pray that we will see that and the principles that we're looking at in answering these questions about leadership in the church, that we'll apply them wherever we're at in our lives, in our walk with you, and in our church, and in our families, that we'll apply them to our personal lives this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first question I want to examine the answers for from the book of 1 Timothy this morning concerning leadership in the church is, what should leaders in the church teach? What should leaders in the church teach? And of course, this when you, when you trickle it down to every believer, what should we be teaching by our lives and specifically our words? What should we teach our children? What should we teach other children about the Bible? What should we teach is the question. What should we teach? And we find the answers here in 1 Timothy 1 and on into the first part of chapter 2. First of all, leaders of the church should teach sound doctrine. Let's look at the opening verses of 1 Timothy 1 again. 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace and mercy and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. By the way, this opening, I'll just mention it one more time. This opening introduction is different in one way in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, I believe maybe Philemon as well. 
all the other greetings of Paul include this, except for one word, which is mercy. Pastors, leaders in the church, they need mercy. Um, and so we, we don't always do everything right or say everything right. We're, we need mercy from the Lord because um, we talk um, from the pulpit and we need grace and mercy that we would be a leader, that we would teach rightly and uh, um, for, for all the different responsibilities that we have to face, there's always uh, growth and improvement we need. And I thank you for all the patience you've had in this first year that I've had as your pastor and the growth that I am still needing to make as the pastor in, um, in, in maturing and fulfilling all the responsibilities of the pastor and looking to the future and, uh, and growing with you uh, even into this leadership role. So as we continue here, again, leaders are of the church to teach sound doctrine. Look at verse 3. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, Paul says to Timothy, when I went into Macedonia that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables or endless gene genealogies, anything that's not true, anything that's distracting, which minister questions rather than godly edifying building us up and making us more like Christ. Rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now, the end, in other words, the purpose, the end of the commandment is charity, out of a pure heart, love, out of a pure heart, and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, real faith. Verse 6, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside into vain jangling, talking about things, teaching things that, um, that are not either true or meaningful or needful. Okay, from which some have swerved and have turned aside into vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if it if a man use it lawfully. And we talked about when we went through this passage, lawfully, the law of God was given to us so we could look into it as a mirror, see where we fall short, and not just try to improve ourselves. Yes, God wants us to become more like him, looking into his word and following the instructions there. But not just that, but that we would see how short we do fall, how holy God is, how much we fall short, how weak we are, how sinful we are, and how much in need of God's grace and forgiveness we truly are. And Jesus Christ offers that forgiveness through what he did on the cross for us. And that's how we should be looking at the law, is not so much, look how good I am, I think I'm earning my way to heaven. Absolutely not. None of us are good enough. We all fall short. And the law shows us that when we examine God's holiness and how we do not measure up and how good God's grace and mercy is. And that's the other thing. Uh, when we're looking at what should leaders teach, that's the other thing we should teach is the gospel of Christ. Let's continue on here. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murders of fathers and murders of mothers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel. So we need to teach sound doctrine, 
and we need to teach the gospel of Christ according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and an injurious. But I obtained mercy. Paul's going back to his own life and expressing how thankful he is. God has chosen him to be an apostle and a missionary and evangelist, someone who's planted churches for Christ. And he at one time was standing by when Stephen became the first martyr for the Christian church. He was there going to houses and bringing, hauling people to jail who, who believed in Christ, who were Christians, who were believers, because he did not believe in Christ. But he says he was, he's so glad, he's so grateful that God revealed himself to Paul, that Paul believed the gospel and now was counted faithful to be put into the ministry of serving God. And all of us are called to serve the Lord. Not all of us are called to serve the Lord as a pastor or even you know, as a deacon. Or, or, not all of us are called to that. But all of us are called to serve the Lord in some way. What is the way that God would call you to serve? Would it be in the ministry of prayer? He certainly calls us all to that ministry. And that's another thing that we should teach is prayer. As leaders in the church, we need to teach prayer. And again, verse 13, Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious? But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering, patience, for a pattern of them that should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. I exhort, therefore, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. So we're to teach sound doctrine, we're to teach the gospel, and we're to teach prayer. And we teach what we practice. Are we praying with our families? Are we praying personally and getting alone in a closet? Uh, there's a great Christian film that I recently watched called War Room about getting in a prayer closet and praying. And it, prayer is powerful. Are we praying? And who should we pray for? Verse 2 tells us, for, what, for instance, we need to pray for our president. And not just because we're afraid of nuclear warfare. For many reasons, we need to pray for our president. We need to pray for our president. Verse 2, for kings and for all that are in authority. For all that are in authority. That would go down to our policemen, our mayor, our uh, legislatures. For all that are in authority. 
that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So we are also to teach truth and faith. Look at the following verse, verse 6. Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ, and lie not a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. So faith and truth. We're to teach faith and truth. And Paul describes himself as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that all men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So well, with, don't pray in anger. Don't pray doubting that God will answer your prayer. Pray in faith. Pray. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves modest in modest apparel and with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with bro, uh, braided hair. It's not saying don't braid your hair. What it's saying is don't focus on outward appearance. Focus on the heart and being right with God and being godly, becoming like him. And sobriety, but not with braided hair or gold or pears or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. And now we come to the second question. The second question. The first question was, what should leaders in the church concern, teach? What should we teach? Second question. Who? Who is to lead the church? Who is to lead in the church? And we see some of the qualifications and who those are in uh, beginning right here at the end of chapter 2. In their homes, man is to take the lead. Uh, the husband, the father is to take the lead in the homes. That's who is to take leadership, is the husband of the home. Look at verse 12. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man. This is specifically talking about a wife and husband relationship. It's not talking about women are never supposed to teach. We have women teachers in our Christian school. We have women teaching um, in children's church and Sunday school in Awana. It's not talking about that. It's talking about specifically taking the lead in the home or taking the lead over the entire church. Um, let the woman, uh, excuse me, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence for Adam was first formed, then Eve. So in other words, God is just saying this is the divine order that someone needs to take leadership. And this is what God designed for that leadership is the husband, the father. And the Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was found in transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Be saved in childbearing, I believe, is referring to the role that a woman does have to teach and lead children. That, yes, she is not the leader over the husband, either in the church or at home, but... She is the leader of the children when she's raising children to raise them up in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety and including in, in church when it comes to teaching children. And then also pastors are to take leadership 
in the church. Let's see those qualifications. We see those in chapter 3. This is a true saying. This is a true saying. If a man desired the office of a bishop, that word bishop means overseer. At the time the King James was translated, of course, the, the church was still uh, using those terms. The, uh, what is now the Episcopalian Church or Anglican Church, the Church of England, which was still somewhat similar to the Roman Catholic Church, even though it had broken away. It was using that term of bishop. We used the term pastor. Means overseer. Means overseer. This is the true saying. If a man desire the office of bishop... He desires a good work. A bishop, then, must be blameless. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall it be to take care of the, house, the church of God? And remember, when we looked at this passage, I reminded you, this is for all of us. Sometimes we look at this, oh, that's what a pastor is to do. Well, that's what we're all to be. And the pastor should happen to be one of those from the church that fulfills these requirements. But all of us should endeavor to be leaders in our home, to, to live up to these things. And almost all of these things are repeated for deacons except apt to teach Pastors especially need to be able to teach. A pastor means uh, someone who's a shepherd, someone who's leading the flock to spiritual food and nourishment. And he needs to be able to teach for that role. Um, in verse 6, not a novice, this refers to not a new convert, because obviously everyone, when they first become a pastor, is going to be new, especially in the early church to which uh, Paul is addressing, and Timothy himself being new to this. But it's referring to somebody who's not new the faith. They've been discipled. Timothy was discipled by Paul himself. He was not a novice. He had, been, he had worked alongside Paul. He had been discipled by Paul, been taught, been trained, been discipled by his own grandmother and mother that we'll see in 2 Timothy. He has this bring up, this Christian moral and um, also in, in the scriptures, biblical grounding. He's grounded in the word of God. It's important that a pastor be grounded in the Word of God and not get someone who's new to the faith, doesn't understand parts of the Bible and teaches it wrong. Very, that would be very dangerous. And there's also the temptation that uh, such a person would, would think, hey, I've risen so quickly, um, having only been a believer this long, and I'm this important now, and that would cause him to have some, some pride. That's something, a danger, a uh, great danger. Being lifted up with pride, he fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them that are without. So, you know, somebody who's not known as a tax cheat or has a bad reputation, you know, bad criminal record, or, you know, has a good reputation by them that are without, lest he fall into reproach and snare of the devil. Likewise, likewise, notice it, when it comes to deacons, it says, likewise, the deacons, and the, that word, uh, whereas bishop means overseer, the word deacons means servant. Likewise, must the deacons, the servants, also you can put the word minister in there, uh, but be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. So the same things that were said about the pastor, the bishop, the overseer. Verse 9, holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience, and let the, there also first be, they first be proved. Then let them use the office of deacon, being found blameless. So again, same ideas as with the 
pastor. Verse 11, even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase themselves a good degree and great boldness in faith with Christ Jesus. And when we talk about the office of the deacon, that started in Acts. With the need of the church to take care of the widows, uh, the apostles the, who were preaching the gospel said, we need to focus on preaching the gospel. So they created the office of deacons and, uh, to help take care of some, the physical needs, to help the apostles, to help the preachers, to help the pastors. That's what the, the office of deacon was, was made for, to help the pastor be able to focus on preaching the word of God by helping take care of all, a lot of the other um, things that needed to be addressed in the church. And so deacons are there as those helpers to help the pastor focus on the preaching of the word of God. And uh, verse 14, we come now to the last question today. Uh, the rest of First Timothy really addresses this question. We've addressed what should leaders in the church teach. We've addressed who should be leaders in the church? Now, the last question is, what makes a good leader in the church? Whether it's a deacon, a pastor, whether it's you as a, as, as a Sunday school teacher, uh, a leader in Awana, a, a leader in your home as a father, a mother, a husband, a wife. What makes good leadership, a good minister, a good servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? What makes that what goes into that well first of all a good leader is godly look at the end of chapter 3 14 uh, starting at verse 14 and continuing on to chapter 4 these things write i unto thee hoping to come unto thee shortly but if i tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of god which is the church of the living god the pillar and ground of truth and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the later times some shall depart from the faith. In other words, the things that were just described about God, about Jesus, about the church being the house of the living God, about um, the mystery of godliness, that Jesus came and was God in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels. The gospel. Some are going to depart from that, says chapter 4, verse 1. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. So to the point where they're not sensitive to what is right or wrong, either in how they live or in what they teach from God's word. Verse 3, forbidding to marry, commit ending to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them that believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused it is, if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister. So what makes a good leader a good minister? If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. 
nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. So Paul is saying, Timothy, you have already learned these good teachings. Now pass those on to those that you are overseeing in that church of Ephesus. Pass these on to them, and you will be a good minister. So, uh, and so first of all, a good leader must be godly, and then a good leader must be a good student of God's word. Paul says, Timothy, you have been. And then he continues. Let's continue in verse... Um, Again, a good leader of the church, he is to be godly. He is to not depart from the faith or the practice taught by the scripture. He's to be a good and godly leader. Let's continue that theme. Verse 7, but refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercises profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity." So the leader needs to be godly, needs to be someone who has not departed from the faith and who's practicing what is mandated by the scripture, by the word of God. And then also what makes a good leader is to be a good student of God's word. Look at verse 13. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, to be good leaders in our home, to be good leaders in our church, to be good leaders at work, to be good leaders... In giving the gospel, we need to be good students of God's word. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given to thee by prophecy, which was the laying hands of the presbytery. In other words, Paul is telling Timothy, you were ordained to be a minister. You were sent out. Hands were laid on you. Don't neglect that gift of teaching and preaching and studying God's word and passing that on, those truths on. Verse 15, meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting, thy, thy progress may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself, unto doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Not referring to salvation from hell, but salvation as in Christian growth. Saving yourself from false doctrine or, or the wrong, wrong living. And, and there's more instructions that continue. We looked at those the last couple of weeks. For example, a good leader needs to treat the church as family. Needs the church to church, treat the church as family. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters with all purity. And what makes a good leader? Something else that makes a good leader is someone uh, that, that uh, makes sure that the, people, the widows in the church are cared for. Remember, the office of deacons was established for that purpose. But all of us as a church, we need to be looking out for one another, caring about one another's physical needs and spiritual as well. Uh, a good leader makes sure the widows are take, taken care of. Look at verses 3 through 16. Honor widows that are widows indeed. And so this is not just pastors and deacons that have to take care of widows, as we're going to describe. It's also, if you, have a family, if you are the family member of a widow, you are the first line. You are the first uh, 
person that should be taking care of that family member. Look at the following verses. But if any window have children or nephews, let them, and that word nephews can be translated grandchildren, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. Now she that is a widow indeed and desolate, she has no family to take care of her, trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. So in other words, someone the church is taking care of, she should also be serving in the church, not just you know, living for, for her own uh, pleasure. But verse 7, these things give in charge that they may be blameless. But if any provide not for his own, for his own family, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Let not widows be taken into the number. In other words, the church is not to financially support a widow unless they're at least threescore years old, 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, man, well reported for good works, if she have brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work, but younger widows refuse. For when they have begun to walk wanton against Christ, and we explained all this, what it meant when we went through it originally, um, when they begin to wax wanton, they, they want certain things, uh, and uh, they will marry. Having damnation, judgment, because they have cast off their first faith. They were being supported by the church and serving the church, now they're um, uh, not doing so. And with all, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, not only idle, but talebearers, tattlers also, and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. I will, therefore, that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion for the adversary to speak reproachfully. That word adversary, um, the word Satan means adversary. And look at verse 15, for some have already turned aside after Satan. If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them, and let them let the, not the church be charged, that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. And here's where we get to another quality of a good leader, is what makes a good leader? A good leader is cautious. Let's look at the end of this chapter. For the scripture saith, uh, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Against an elder receive not accusation. Be careful. But, be, but before two or three witnesses. Um, so don't listen to something that's accusation against the leader in the church unless there's two or three witnesses confirming every word. Verse 20, Them that sin rebuke before all, that others may Fear, be aware, be cautious, don't fall into the sin. Uh, take the example of those who fall into sin as, as an example that you, are, you don't want to, that, that does not, you do not want that to be you. Verse 21, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another. Do all of these instructions, follow all of these instructions. Lay hands suddenly on no man. Be careful before sending someone as a missionary or make them as a pastor. That's why we had that provision of after you're in for a year and things like that. Um, lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other man's sins. Keep thyself pure. Drink no longer water. In other words, we should be looking out for one another physically as well, for our physical health. Drink no longer water, but a little a wine for thy stomach's sake. Again, he's giving like a medical prescription saying, you have stomach issues, Timothy, you need to 
take this wine medicinally uh, for that purpose. Not, not speaking of beverage, alcohol here, not, not condoning that. Uh, but some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. So be careful, but sometimes you're not going to always see the, the problems that are going to arise later. Likewise, also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. Let as many, and then another quality of a good leader is that a good leader will be a good servant. He serves others. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved. We talked about what that meant last week. How we shouldn't expect bosses who are believers to treat us better just because we go to the same church as they do or we know they're a believer. Don't take advantage of that fact. Serve them just as well as you would any other boss. And verse 3, a good leader uh, this is content. Okay, We're looking at the following verses. A good leader is content. If any teach otherwise and consent not to the wholesome words, even of the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting upon questions and strives of words which cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, that if, you, if you're prospering, you're godly, that's, you can't equate those two things, it's not necessarily the case. From such withdraw thyself. As somebody is teaching that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. But in godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. But they that will be rich, um, excuse me, verse 8, and having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. We have food and clothing, let's be content with that. Let's not be always wanting something else, something more. But physically, that is. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, into many foolish and hurtful lusts, that's desires, things that you want that aren't good for you, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not money itself that's the root of evil, but the love of it is the root of all evil, which, will, which some, having coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God. And so finally, a good leader, last point under what makes a good leader, is a good leader looks forward to the rewards of heaven. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickened all things. He makes alive all things. He's the one who give us our life. We owe everything to him. Let's look forward to our home in heaven with him. And before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Looking forward to the rapture, Christ could return for his church at any moment. Which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potent, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light 
with no man, which no man can approach, which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in certain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, rather to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. In other words, looking forward to eternal life in heaven, spend your money for the good of the church. Um, that includes tithing, giving a percent of your income to the church. Tithe means 10%, but in the Old Testament, it actually would be there would be offerings above and beyond that as well. Laying up a store of themselves, a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Avoid profane and vague babblings and oppositions of science, knowledge, falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. And so we went a little longer just a little bit uh, today, uh, going through that entire book. Uh, and we've, we've gone over it the last few weeks, breaking it down. And uh, we've answered to, uh, today, looking at it as a whole, we've answered those three questions. Three questions about leaders in the church. First of all, what are leaders in the church to teach? And we answered that. We're to teach sound doctrine. We're to teach the gospel of Christ. We're to teach faith and truth. The second question we looked at in the book of 1 Timothy as a whole is who is to lead the church? Well, it's, it's to be men that lead in the church. It's to be men that lead in their homes, husbands, fathers. Women have a leadership role in leading children, certainly. And pastors are to lead the church. They're the overseer. Deacons are to help in that as the servants. They're, they're helpers of the pastors and helpers, servants of the church. And we saw the qualifications of those, those offices and uh, those qualifications that all of us should aspire to. And then the third question we find answers for in 1 Timothy concerning leaders of the church is what makes a good leader of the church? A good leader of the church doesn't depart from the faith. He, he practices what the Bible teaches. A good leader is godly. A good leader is a good student of God's word. A good leader makes sure that he treats the church as family and that the widows are taken care of. A good leader is cautious. He's careful um, about serving the church and uh, not um, supporting things that the church shouldn't be a part of and making sure that uh, people, uh, that, that he does right and he learns from others' mistakes and must be cautious. A good leader is to be a good servant. A good leader is to be content. A good leader is to look forward to the rewards of heaven and live in this life in light of eternity. And so we've looked at those answers to those three questions to this morning and uh, tied all of 1 Timothy together, I hope, uh, summarized it, looked back on it, reviewed some of the things we've already seen in the book of 1 Timothy. It was, it was a lot, very rich, and we look forward to uh, our future study of books as well as topics. I thank you for, for sp spending this time with me in First Timothy this morning. Let's bow for prayer.